Today's text is from 2 Samuel 9, so if you could please turn with me to 2 Samuel 9. We'll be reading the whole chapter, which should be exciting since usually I go through Philippians and we do like three verses at a time. But now it's a whole chapter. Uh, 2 Samuel 9, David's kindness to Mephibosheth. And David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Seba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king answered Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul, and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table. Now Seba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Seba said to the king, according to all my lord, the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's son. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Seba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time again that we could come and gather and look into your word. Would you help me, Lord, as I preach, that I may be clear and humble. And Lord, as we look into your scriptures, may it be your word working in our hearts, that we may see you more clearly, that we may love you more deeply, and that in our lives and through our actions and our relationships, we may reflect the true King, the one who is faithful and loving. So help us, Lord. Help us to not be hard-hearted as we look into your words. Help us to have soft and tender hearts that we may see what you are calling us to and what you are reminding us of. We look to you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think, maybe, perhaps, that we've all had awkward dinners. Maybe it was first dates 
or first encounters. One time I accidentally went on a date. I didn't know it was a date until I was at the, we were like asking all these questions and I'm like, is this a date? And I started freaking out. Um, maybe it was a dinner where you had a tough conversation or a dinner where you're trying to reconcile with a friend whom you offended or offended you. There's one dinner that sticks out to my head. It sticks out in my head, not out of my head. <laughs> as probably, for me, what was the pinnacle of awkwardness for dinners. I was invited to a wedding, and I didn't really know that many people, but they were clearly all friends, right? And they put me in this table. And so I'm in this wedding at this table that I don't know that many people in, and nobody from my table came. Or everybody from my table was busy doing something else. So for pretty much the whole dinner, I sat in what felt like the middle of the room, at a wedding, by myself. The food was not that good. <laughs> not that I can remember. All that I wanted to do was to dig my face in my phone. And I didn't have the courage to just get up and leave. And the dinner taught me something about myself. That when I feel really awkward, I pick up my phone to look busy, to seem like I have something going on because I felt like a loser. Something as small and simple as a dinner can help us ask big questions. Who we are, where we're going, what we are about. Sometimes small moments lead us to consider profound things. And we see that in today's passage. Narratives, especially narratives in scripture, have a point. They have a direction. There's something that they're trying to show you. And narratives, they invite you to ask questions and consider things deeply. And today's passage is no exception. We are looking at the life of King David. And today's passage is just about a king and a dinner. Nothing extravagant happens. There are no nations conquered. There are no giants slayed. There are no major prophecies fulfilled, no miracles performed, but just the king and the grandson of his persecutor. We see the story of a faithful king and how this faithfulness plays out in real life. And this story helps us ask a question. Who is worthy to come to the king's table? And we're going to see that in three points. Because of the king's faithfulness, the messy can come to the king's table. Because of the king's faithfulness, the needy can come to the king's table. And third, because of the king's faithfulness, the unworthy can come to the king's table. So the first point, because of the king's faithfulness, the messy can come to the king's table. Let's look at the first verse together in 2 Samuel 9. And David said, is there, any, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David is searching for someone in the house of Saul in order to show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan. That's the passage that we read earlier. David and Jonathan had made a covenant. And so David, the shepherd, now, after many years of running and warfare, has come to his own as the king of Israel. He, he was persecuted by Saul for years. 
Saul, being the, the previous king of Israel, grew jealous of David because of his military successes and saw that God was with David and then feared for his own dynasty. So he persecuted David, cast him out of his court. Some of the most beautiful psalms that we read is David running in the wilderness. He's in the fortress in the desert of sin. He's in the cave of Adullam. And although Saul hated David and wanted to kill him, Saul's son, Jonathan, loved David and had a close relationship with him. They promised each other faithfulness to each other's house and to take care of each other's families just in case. Saul persecuted David for years. And at the beginning and the end of 1 Samuel and at the beginning of 2 Samuel, Saul and Jonathan are both killed in a battle with the Philistines. And when the news reaches David, he sings a song and he weeps and mourns for his friend and the king of Israel. And in that song, there's a phrase that says, oh, how the mighty have fallen. We use that as an insult. David meant it as a lament. David did not immediately become king, but there was a whole mess with Saul's descendants. And for another seven years, after he became king of just the southern tribe of Judah, there was constant warfare between Judah and the rest of the kingdom. After seven years, Saul's son was assassinated by the magistrates of the nation, and the kingdom was unified under King David. After his power was consolidating, things kept getting better. He had a series of military victories. Children were born to him. And in 2 Samuel 7, God made a covenant with David to maintain his house and his lineage forever. We know that as the Davidic covenant. And that's the progression of 2 Samuel. David becomes king of the whole nation. David has military victories. David's kingdom grows. David and God are in covenant. Everything is going well. He is militarily successful, spiritually faithful, the nation is thriving, and it is here where David takes a step back when everything is going well and he asks, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because although things had gone well for David, he never forgot his promises. And so he looks for an old servant of Saul and he asks him again, is there anyone, someone in the house of Saul, that I may show kindness to him? And consider the history. Everything is going well, and you want to help the house of the man who tried to kill you. This person could easily arise and try to supplant your authority, but David, faithful to his promises, desires to show kindness to his enemies. So Ziba, is brought, and he explains that there is a grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, who is lame in both legs. Mephibosheth comes and falls down and pays homage to David, and David responds, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. David promises to show kindness for the sake of his father, Jonathan, and restore to him all the land of his grandfather. To read this, especially in the context, is stunning. You're supposed to take a step back and sort of be shocked at the kindness of David. 
To restore to him the land of the man that tried to murder him is one thing. Really, by not imprisoning him, David is already showing him mercy. But he invites to his own table the grandson of his persecutor. Mephibosheth is what we would call messy. His situation is complicated. He has blessings because of Jonathan and curses because of Saul. When his father and grandfather died, the servant was running with him and drops him. And that's how he became lame in both legs. To bring him to the table for the sake of Jonathan makes sense. And at the same time, he is the grandson of Saul who could supplant his authority. David, however, is not concerned with the messiness of Mephibosheth. He is well aware. He shows himself to be faithful by showing grace and mercy to the messy person for the sake of a promise. And in that, we can see that a messy person can come to the king's table. But we also see that because of the king's faithfulness, the needy can come to the king's table. David's kindness does not actually stop there. He continues by calling back the servant Siva, and the conflict of the story is twofold. First, is that David wishes to show kindness because of the promise, and second, the person whom he's trying to show kindness to has issues. In the first point, we emphasize that the kindness was shown to Mephibosheth, although he had a complicated family history. But here we see there's another issue. Kindness is difficult to be shown because Mephibosheth is needy. Even if David returns all the land to him, he is not able to work it himself. Mephibosheth, in, in fact, depended on other people his entire life. He did not even have a house to himself, but was being taken care of by others. He is unable to take care of the land that was returned to him. But David is ahead of the curve. There is a climbing action within the story where the faithfulness and kindness of David is continually emphasized. He, he invites him in, right, to his table, and now he gives him land and servants. There is an unprecedented generosity to somebody who's needy and messy. David is exuberant with his kindness and generosity to the grandson of his persecutor. He wants to make sure that Mephibosheth has food and land. And so he gives him servants, and he gives him land, and now Mephibosheth is in a place that he can sustain himself. But David goes farther even, and he says, but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. He wants to make sure that he has land and that his land produces. But again, it's emphasized, this grandson shall always eat at my table. David is the one who's providing. Mephibosheth is needy. He can bring nothing to the table that wasn't already given to him. But David is not concerned with what Mephibosheth can bring to the table. He welcomes him and shows himself to be faithful by showing extravagant generosity to a needy man for the sake of a promise. So we can see that because of the king's faithfulness, the needy can come to the king's table. But there's a third point. Like all good sermons, there's three points. 
because of the king's faithfulness, the unworthy can come to the king's table. Mephibosheth is restored in terms of wealth. Where he once was a beggar, he is now treated like the son of a king. This is the peak of the story. It ends. The pinnacle being that Mephibosheth is unworthy and David is faithful to his covenants. We see that in 2 Samuel at the end, starting in verse 12. So Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Seba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. That's what we talked about. He's messy and he's needy. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. This whole beautiful narrative of David's faithfulness to his promises to Jonathan ends with this. Now he was lame in both feet. And it is almost as if the writer of 2 Samuel wants, to really, wants us to really wrestle with everything that was just said and everything that just happened. It is not only that Mephibosheth is a descendant of his enemy. It is not only that Mephibosheth is unable to take care of his own land. But most of all, Mephibosheth cannot take care of his own self. In that culture, the inability to work was serious. Someone with his condition... Even though he was born a Levite, could not serve in the temple. Even if he had all the right resources and all the right family connections. However, Mephibosheth, the son and the grandson of David's persecutor, who could not even take care of his own land, was treated like the son of a king. David is a conquering and mighty king who has defeated all his enemies, united the nation, is in covenant with God Almighty, Mephibosheth is unworthy. But it is to this table that he is invited. Mephibosheth is given land, servants, wealth. He lives in Jerusalem. He's treated as one of the king's son. And he's not there because of his worthiness, but because of David's faithfulness. The second point is this. David is faithful. There is a word that is repeated throughout the text that I haven't emphasized, but I'll emphasize now. Three times it is repeated in the story. In verse 1, it's the word kindness. Right? Let us read it together. Second Samuel verse 1, And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And again in verse 3, And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And then again in verse 7, And David said, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. It's a nice word. It's repeated three times. But in the Hebrew, it has a rich and covenant meaning. It is a covenant word. It is the same word that is used for steadfast love when it's referring to God. It means God's faithful love and kindness to his people. David uses this weighty word as he remembers the covenant that he made with Jonathan and wants to extend that same faithful love and kindness to his son. David and Jonathan made a covenant together. That's what we read this morning. David, when he was in the midst of running from Saul, makes a covenant with Saul's son. Now years later, long after the promise had been made, David did not forget his promise. 
David did not suffer from selective memory, but aimed in the midst of the whole situation to keep his word and keep his covenant. David was faithful even to the grandson of his persecutor. The reason this is important will become clearer later, but this is why he treats Mephibosheth as one of his own sons. He is cared and welcomed, not because of anything within himself or any action of his own, but because of a promise, because of a covenant. It is because of faithfulness that messy, needy, and unworthy people can come to the table of the king. Because David showed kindness, faithfulness to the covenant love to Mephibosheth. That's why he can be treated as the son of a king. And this is the point in the sermon where you are either frustrated or you're waiting for some sort of logical climax or you're asking to yourself, so what? So there was a king thousands of years ago who showed kindness to his enemies, who was generous and gracious to someone who did not deserve it. What does that have to do with me other than the fact that it's a nice story? And first, we have to look in our hearts. If we are honest with ourselves, and I mean genuinely honest, we notice that the person who we truly relate most to in this story is not David. It's Mephibosheth. Who here doesn't have a messy past? Whose life is devoid of brokenness? Who does not struggle with sin or guilt or anxiety or fear or anger or impatience? Who has a clean slate? Who here is messy? Who here is not needy? Maybe you're struggling with money or finances and that makes you anxious. Who here feels like they have enough and they make enough and they, and they don't have to worry about anything at all? Maybe you're not needy for money. Maybe it's friendship or company. Maybe you feel like nobody really knows you or cares for you or knows you for who you are. Maybe you're needy for love and affirmation and time. And you long for somebody to look at you with love and love you in the place that you're at. Who here has it all together and can contribute to what everybody else asks? We, beloved brothers and sisters, we are needy. Who here is worthy? And this one's difficult to say in our culture because I saw this yoga commercial and the whole yoga commercial just said, you are enough, which is strange because I thought it was like Activia, which is like, that's not Activia's purpose in life, but apparently it is to affirm me in my enoughness, right? <laughs> Yogurt's crazy. Um, but even when you hear something like that, even in a culture that says, you are enough, you should be happy, don't worry about anything. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like you have everything you deserve or you deserve everything that you have? Or do you get angry at what you don't have? Or perhaps you feel the increasing pressure of matching expectations of those around you who demand more and more, but you yourself feel like you have nothing more to give. Who here does not feel guilt or shame for words misspoken or impatience shown? or words not spoken? Who does not regret missed opportunities or foolish actions? We, beloved brothers and sisters, are unworthy. How amazing then would it be to be invited to the table of a king, 
to be invited to a covenant, although we are messy and needy and unworthy, that we would be welcome, not because we bring something to the table, but for the sake of a promise, not because we have it all together, but to those that do not have it all, that don't have all their ducks in a row, to be welcomed to the table of a king because of a promise. What a relief would it be for our souls to dine with a king who, knowing all of our issues, extends his arms and welcomes sinners such as us. A king who calls out to those who are weary and heavy laden to come find rest. David was a king who lived and died, but he serves as a picture. He is a picture of the true king that's coming. The true question of this passage, I tricked you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not who can come to the table of the king, but what kind of king would invite messy and needy and unworthy people to his table? Although we bring nothing to the table, he provides something that we need. Although we come from a complicated family background, he gives us a new name and a new life. He is our true shepherd who shows extravagant generosity to his people. He is the worthy king who brings the unworthy to his table. To those that do not deserve kindness, he shows mercy. He shows love to the loveless that they might lovely be, like the hymn says. And his name is Jesus. There is a king who invites us to his table, who calls the messy and the needy and the unworthy, and he makes them lovely. Therefore, beloved brothers and sisters, let us go to Jesus today. We have a faithful king who far exceeds David in every respect. Let us come to Jesus today and draw near to the one who knows who neither refuses us because of our messiness, our neediness, or our unworthiness. There is a Redeemer who welcomes us to his table. But we must ask then, if there is such a king who invites sinners such as us, what does it mean to come to the table of the Lord? And this application is best summarized in true Presbyterian fashion by talking about the Lord's Supper the sacraments. That was meant to be a joke, but it's also very true. We are unable, due to a lack of time, to explore this in debt, so we'll touch on it briefly. To be welcomed to the table of the Lord is both something we tangibly experience now and something we will experience in a greater way. In the Lord's Supper or communion, we find what's referred to as a sign and seal of the covenant. It is a physical reminder of the promises that we have, not in an earthly king, but in a heavenly one. It is the seal of the covenant. To come to the Lord's table is a confession in the midst of life that we trust in the promises of God, that our king is faithful and we trust that our promises are sealed in him, that we are in Christ and we are welcomed as his children and he feeds us. We are his people, and we come to the table of the Lord to be nourished, to trust in these promises, and to bank on them. In the confession, this is Westminster, it is clarified 
that this table welcomes, not, welcomes us not in a carnal manner, but we are spiritually nourished in our faith and we grow in grace. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 says it like this. Paul writes to the church and reminds them of this saying, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's table is also a sign of the covenant that we have in him. It is a signpost that directs us to that final meal and celebration before our king. What is referred to in scriptures as the marriage supper of the lamb. When he wipes away all of our tears and we stand before him. For our king will come again. To come to the Lord's table means to live in light of that sign. We who are in Christ Jesus are brought together here this morning in light of the work of Christ. And as we gather together, we declare to the world that this is what we believe about life. We are confirmed in our communion with our Lord, and we are thankful that the work of Christ is shown, and we commit ourselves to each other and to the work of Christians. And we do so in unity and in our union with Christ. So we experience it tangibly now in the bread and the wine, but it reminds us of the deeper promises of God that he welcomes messy, needy, and unworthy people to his table. Perhaps you are doing well spiritually. Perhaps this summer has been great and you're invigorated and ready to live out your faith. But in that, remember, today we are welcome to the table of the Lord. We have communion with Jesus, the king who is faithful, who far exceeds David and any other king in every respect, we are reminded that his promises are true and he will sustain us in our walk. And it is a reminder that God walks with us to the very end of the age, that we are his, we are engrafted into Christ, and all the good gifts that you experience now are but a picture of that true and deep promise that is waiting for us as his children just beyond the Jordan. But perhaps the summer has not been great. Perhaps hardness has found you and you are struggling and you cry out like the Psalter. Tears have been my food day and night. And to those that have been far from the Lord, be comforted. The table of the Lord welcomes us. You do not have to clean yourself up, but you must come as you are. He is the king who welcomes the messy, the needy, and the unworthy. And as it says in the Gospels, for it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Perhaps you are not Christian and somebody invited you. Perhaps you have questions, but I will welcome you to keep exploring today what Christianity means. But as the Psalm says, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There is a king who welcomes you, who has paid your debt and reconciles you to God. As we, beloved brothers and sisters, continue on our pilgrim's journey, let us remember that in the end, even death itself shall be abolished. Let us draw near today to God. We grab a hold of these promises by faith. Come today and confess your sins to Lord, because Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us. 
These promises are ours in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Let us come today to the table of our Lord and lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross. Not only as we begin this journey, but even as we may be well-traveled. There is beauty in life and there is joy in life, but there is also hardness. And we are on our way. We today can enjoy the benefits of the covenant. We too are adopted as children of God because of the work of Christ. We are welcomed to the table of the Lord by the love of God the Father, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So let us pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can gather here and look to you, to the true King, to the one who lifts and carries his people, to the one that sustains them, to the one that welcomes broken people, messy people, needy people, unworthy people to his table, to the one that ate with tax collectors and sinners, not just with people who were dressed well and had a good job, but to those that were needy and broken and messy. And we come to you, Lord, knowing that we are sinners, knowing that in you we find forgiveness and grace, and we look to you, the true and faithful king, the one that loves us and welcomes us to his table. So we come, Lord, and we come to you. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to reflect this king in our lives, to continue to grow, to show you the one who has grace on his people and shows mercy to the broken. To those that are struggling today, Lord, we just pray that you would strengthen them and bless them and remind them that in you they find their peace and their strength, that you are the one that sustains, that you are the one who provides. Lord, to those that are doing well, we pray that you would also remind them that you are the deepest joy in life, that you are the one who provides in the midst of the good and in the midst of the bad. And so we look to you, O Heavenly Father. Help us, strengthen us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.